This morning, we're going to begin our series on the Lord's Prayer. Before we do that, though, uh, today in, in Southern Baptist churches, uh, with the Southern Baptist Convention, is uh, Racial Reconciliation Sunday. And we as a church have come a long way from what we as a church were 30, 40 years ago, uh, even further than we were 60, 70 years ago. But there's always further we can go. And there's always more we can do to ensure that skin color doesn't matter. Uh, when, there are a lot of folks going to be surprised when they get to heaven. Um, and, and, and there's some folks that, that ain't the same color as them going to be there. And they're going to be a little shocked. But one of, one of our goals as a church should always, to, always be that our church looks like heaven. Uh, as, as much as our community not as, uh, as allows it, because our community might not allow it as much as it should be. But, you know, I only know of, just an example, I only know of two Asian people in town. I don't think they live here, they just own the donut place. So we're not going to have a lot of Asians in our church. That's okay. But what we do have in the community, we should have in our church. And we have come a long way, but there's more that we can do. So this morning, before I preach, I want us to pray for racial reconciliation. Because while things may be going okay here, there are plenty of places across the country and across the world where it's not. And we need to pray that God will move on hearts. Because racism and, and Christianity are incompatible. They, they, they can't go together. Racism is just as much a sin as adultery and, and, and murder and lying and anything else. So we need to be a church that seeks to reconcile uh, that's why I, I think regularly about that service we had last year uh, after the Charleston shooting at uh, Greater Rising Star and how beautiful that service was. And I'm thinking, okay, we need to do that again this year. Uh, even though there hadn't been maybe a, an event to, to prompt it, we need to do that again anyway just so we can continue that process. So this morning, I want you to pray with me that we will be a community a country and a world that is reconciled racially, that we no longer see skin color. Lord God, we know that, that there, we all have our hang-ups. We all have our issues that, that we've got to deal with. And Lord, we all have a, a history that, that comes from uh, a certain place, a certain upbringing, uh, a certain uh, culture. But God, you are more powerful than any of those things. And Lord, we know that racism is not a part of your plan for us. It's, it is a result of a fallen world. To look at someone and, and have an immediate idea, an impression, a, 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 a derogatory view of someone strictly because of the color of their skin is evil. And Lord, I pray that as we all deal with our various levels of, of racism, that you would cleanse our hearts of it. Lord, I look across our congregation this morning, and it's beautiful to see the various colors here today, various hues and shades, even though some may call themselves white and some may call themselves Hispanic, we're, we're all different shades of really just the same color. And God, I thank you that we can come here on Sunday morning and any other time, and we can worship together. That in a lot of churches, 
this is the most segregated hour of the week, but not, not at First Baptist Nixon. But Lord, before we get too proud, let us come before you humbly admitting that we still have a long way to go. While this may look nice in our pews, we still all probably harbor some level of racial prejudice that should not be there. So on this Sunday, when around the country, churches are praying right now, just like we are, I pray that as a convention of churches, that we will absolutely put racism behind us. I pray for places where there is still racial tension, and that may be putting it mildly as far as what exists. Lord, that we can begin to see people based on the content of their character and not of the color of the skin. Lord, that we can see people the way you see them, creations of yours, loved by you, died for by Jesus, with the same opportunity to accept the gospel and trust Jesus as Savior as any other person. Someone of worth, someone of value, someone that I probably would like to be friends with. God, I pray that we would put the racist past and the racist present behind us so that we have a racially reconciled future starting now. Lord, do a mighty work among us, among our churches, and among the people of our country that we will be colorblind, truly, Lord, love the differences. Celebrate the variations. But see people for people and not for skin color. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now we're going to, like I said, we're going to be looking at uh, the, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to do this over six weeks. There will be a, a slight interruption in those six weeks, and I, I'm not going to tell you which Sunday that interruption will be on because some of you will say, well, I don't have to come because I know how y'all work. Um, uh, but there will be a slight interruption, but we will still be uh, discussing prayer that Sunday. I won't be here. Mike will be preaching. Uh, we will be, well, we'll be suffering. <laughs> In Disney World. Sorry, uh, that's where we'll be. Uh, we'll be in Disney World. But uh, Mike will be preaching that particular Sunday, and he's going to discuss the church's foundation in prayer. I don't know what passage. He's, I just know he's preaching about prayer as well. We're going to look at this, the importance of prayer for the church. And what got us here, what got us to this point, uh, is the, obviously the Lord's Prayer. But, but we got to the Lord's Prayer because we've been discussing the Sermon on the Mount. The model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, I'll use those uh, terms interchangeably for both, uh, for the same thing, model or Lord's Prayer. Now, we learned way back in Matthew 5, uh, verses uh, 1 through 12, we learned how to have our best life, right? We looked at the Beatitudes, we saw that, that our best life is not uh, wealth and health and everything going perfectly, but as a matter of fact, it, if you read through those again, you see that it just actually kind of gets worse and worse and worse as far as our life 
is concerned, all the way down to persecution in verse 12. But in fact, the reward of eternity and, and what we get right now is much greater than anything we suffer for those things. So that, that's our best life, right? Living the Beatitudes out. Then we kept going, Matthew 5, 13 through 48, the rest of the chapter, and we broke down those six, you've heard it said, but I tell you, passages of Jesus, where we learned how to act different. Not act different from how we are, though that is important that we, we change, we grow as we, we grow in action as we grow in Christ, but we are to act different from the world. We are different as Christians. We are supposed to be different. They're supposed to be able to look at us and see our actions and go, they're not responding, they're not reacting the, the way I would. Why? We act different. And then when we got to chapter 6 of Matthew, we began to look at how uh, our focus needs to be on our relationship with the Father and, and how certain things in life affect that. We, we give to the poor, we give to the church, but our giving should be based on our relationship with God, not on how much we give or who sees us give. We, we pray uh, not so people can see us or know that we pray, but we pray so that our relationship is strengthened. God who hears in secret, answers in secret. Then we, we skipped the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer, and we went to fasting because fasting always goes hand in hand with prayer. And we're going to talk about fasting a little more in the coming weeks. And, and in the month of March, I'm going to ask you to pick a day, one week to fast. But I'll, I'll talk about that a little bit more next week. And we talked about fasting because it just, it just goes hand in hand with prayer. And, and fasting focuses, on us, uh, focuses our lives on what we're doing. So then we come back now, after we've talked about fasting in uh, verses 16 through 18, we come back to the model prayer. The interesting thing about the model prayer is that it is the almost exact, I didn't count the letters, or the verses, or any of that business, uh, but it's almost the exact middle of the Sermon on the Mount. It's, it's almost like Jesus was leading up to this. And, and if, if you remember your literature classes in school and when you, you had to read the book and you had the, the uh, or you had to read the, the, the short story, whatever it is, you had the, 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 the climb in action. There's a word for that and I can't remember it now. The, the build up. And then you had somewhere toward the end, uh, but maybe in the middle, depending on the author, you had this climax. You had the whole purpose. And then the rest of the book kind of resolves and, and, and fixes, finishes what the climax did. That's kind of what Jesus is doing here. We had the Beatitudes, your best life. We learned to act different. We learned to focus on God for our relationship. And this is how we do it in prayer. And then he's going to work his way back up. We're going to resolve this based on possessions and worrying and other things that he's going to talk about the rest of chapter 6 and, verse, and chapter 7. But the middle of the sermon is how to pray. And if you don't see the importance of that, you should. That in the beginning, if we want to understand our best life, and, and, and have the Beatitudes and, and live the Beatitudes, really the only way we can rejoice when we're poor in spirit and, and feel blessed when we're persecuted and all those things that it talked about is, is, is through prayer. The only way that we can truly act different, the only way we can respond to situations in life that, that other people would respond to differently is because of our relationship to God in prayer. 
The only reason we can give joyfully, the only reason we can pray and not worry about everybody else but just talk to God, the only reason we can fast and say, I'm willing to give up this most basic need in life is because of prayer. And then he's going to talk about possessions and worry in the rest of chapter 6. The only way we can give our possessions to God is by prayer. The only way we cannot worry is by taking everything to him, it says, in prayer and so on and so forth. So this is it. And that's why we're going to take six weeks to look at this, this passage on prayer. This morning, we're going to look at verse 9 of chapter 6. That's where we're going to begin, the beginning. I thought that would be a great spot to start with. Matthew 6, verse 9. And if you need it, the verse is actually on the back of your bulletin this Sunday uh, on the notes section. If you take notes and want to write things down, the verse is there for you as well. If you don't have a, a Bible or the, the numbers and letters are too small in the pew Bibles. Matthew 6, 9, Jesus says, Therefore, you should pray like this, Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Short verse, right? And, and the verses we're going to look at are going to be pretty short. But Jesus, when he presents this model prayer, he presents in, in two sections, two pretty clear sections, actually. Uh, the first section is all about God. The first three verses, 9, 10, and 11. Then 13, 14, or 12, 13, and 14, 12 and 13 in particular, are all about you. But you see the order, right? You see, see the order in prayer. First, God, then you. We'll talk about that a little bit more here as we move through it. Let's look at the... the, the we're just going to go through this passage um, almost word for word and look at them. He begins, Jesus says, therefore. Always we want to go back when we see therefore. What is he referencing? Well, he's referencing the passage on prayer where he tells them how to pray and how not to pray. When he says, uh, whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you they've got their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door, and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't babble like the idolaters, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. Therefore, He says, don't pray for attention. I just told you, don't, don't pray for attention. Don't, don't do it in the street corners when you are called on to pray in church. or something. You don't, You're not praying for the people, you're praying to God. And He says, also, no rote Prayers, no memorized prayers, no babbling uh, on and on and on. Don't, don't pray as if you think your prayer is magical. And if I pray it just this way, just this number of times, with just the right inflection on the word, God has to give me what I ask for. Because no, He don't. He's God, you're not, and your prayers don't make Him do anything that is against His will, His perfect will. So Jesus says, don't do it for attention. Don't, don't know, none of this, this babbling on and on. Therefore, right, you should pray. Now, I love the translation of the Bible I use, Holman Christian Standard, and some of the, some of the pew Bibles are Holman, some of them are NIV. One of the mistakes, I think, uh, after studying this, that Holman makes is this should 
in the verse. If you look on the back of your bulletin, you see it there. He says, you should pray. Well, that word should isn't in, in the, uh, uh, the original Greek. And it's not horrible that they put it there. But I agree with one commentator that I read that it softens the command a little much. I mean, if I tell my sons, you really should go clean your room. Versus, go clean your room. Well, which one sounds more like a suggestion and one, which one sounds more like a command? Now, they should <laughs> know that when I say you should go, that's still a command. And we should know that when we read as well. But it kind of it messes us up a little bit. Because what is really here, what Jesus is saying is not, you know, it would be better if. It's not, you really should if you think about it. It's not when the time comes and when you think it's, you know, okay and, and alright, I've got a few minutes here I can spare. You should pray. What he's saying is, pray. Therefore, pray. Imperative. It is a command. Praying is not optional, folks. Our, you've heard this, if you've been in church any length of time, you've heard this illustration before. You cannot be married to someone and not talk to them. You can't be part of a family and not talk to those people in the family. I mean, you can, but your relationship is not going to be good. Well, how do you have a relationship with God? How do you claim a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but you never talk to Him in prayer? Or... If I go to Etta only when I need some money for something, she laughs because I take care of the money. But, you know, only when I want something, but never talk to her any other time, what is that relationship like? Yet that's what we do with God a lot of the times. If I'm in trouble, God, I'll call you. I'll talk to you if I need something. You know, if I'm broke and need cash, I'll pray. If I have a sick relative and the doctors can't figure it out, I'll pray. Well, that's not the call here. We must pray all the time. It is also not, it's not just imperative in the Greek. It is in the present tense in the Greek. Now, present tense means more than just happening now in the Greek. What it really means is that it is habitual. It is often. Present tense means it has no ending. It, it, it happens and it continues to happen. And that's what we see here. God is saying, you pray all the time. Sounds a lot like a fellow named Paul who in 1 Thessalonians 5.17 said, pray unceasingly. Now, I'm going to cover this a little bit more later on because as we move through this Lord's Prayer, it's going to sound like, I mean, it is a model prayer. This is kind of how we're supposed to do it. But... We're supposed to pray all the time. Does that mean, Michael, I have, to, uh, I have to quote the Lord's Prayer every time I start praying? Well, I'm going to tell you to begin with, you don't have to quote the Lord's Prayer ever at all. So, strike that. But does that mean I have to go through this formula every time I pray? No. But I am telling you that when you nestle down with God, when you have your time, God and I have got to get serious right now. Not that other times of prayer aren't serious, but when you know, okay, this is my special time of the day to pray, keep this in mind. I, I do, I think I've told you before, I do some of my best praying when I'm driving by myself. Uh, I, I, I'm going somewhere any great distance, that's when I pray. Uh, I, I'm not paying attention to the road, so it's okay. Um, 
no big deal. I'm, I'm focusing on God. Uh, people think I'm talking on my speakerphone, so it's all right. Uh, and I, I just, I do. I had to go to uh, Baton Rouge uh, uh, last week for my dad's surgery. Going and coming, I listened to various preachers and, and on, on podcasts on my phone and leadership, stuff, all kinds of things. But in between those, as something hit me, I just turned it off and pray. Well, that's what praying without ceasing is. When, when the mood strikes you, when, when something hits you, when you're going through your day, wherever you are, you can, you, Larry can still be working on the airplane and, you know, oh, I know how to do this, ain't no big deal, but he's got something he's praying about constantly. You, uh, Keith, up at the fire station, nothing's going on, or, you know, I, I, I can pray right now uh, if, as long as we're not fighting a fire, and maybe, you know, going, he probably ought to pray, right? <laughs> going to the fire, you know? It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter what you're doing, pray without ceasing. Constant, habitual, often pray. But Jesus says, therefore, pray like this. And, and this is what I'm talking about. You don't have to pray the Lord's Prayer every time you start praying because He doesn't say, therefore, pray this. He says, therefore, pray like this. Jesus is setting us up with a model here. I want you to pray like this. I want you to get these certain principles. Remember, that's what we talked about, uh, the, uh, the you've heard it said, but I say to you passages in, in chapter 5 where they were principles. He doesn't cover every possibility. He doesn't cover every circumstance you may face, but he's saying these are principles you need to understand. You've heard it said that it's all about following the law by the letter. It doesn't matter about your motive. I'm telling you in life as a Christian, it's about your motive. He's telling us here that you you, you pray what you need to pray, but I want you to understand some principles that you need to know going into your time with God. Pray like this. It's not magical that we say the Lord's Prayer. doesn't get us any closer to God to say the Lord's Prayer than to not say the Lord's Prayer. As a matter of fact, far too often, our tendency is to believe that if I just pray the Lord's Prayer, I'm okay. Go back just a few verses. Don't babble. Don't uh, pray these uh, uh, memorized prayers, babble like the idolaters, they've been heard for their many words. Don't be like them. Pray like this. Well, Michael, does that mean we can never pray the Lord's Prayer? No, that doesn't mean that. As a matter of fact, it is a great practice to pray Scripture. Uh, you, you read... Uh, a passage, as you read the passage, apply it. It works incredibly well when you're reading the, the letters from Paul and, and John and James. It's, it's a little more difficult with the narratives of the Gospels, but even there you can pray uh, the, the Scripture. As a, a quick example, I'll just flip somewhere. All right, uh, I'm in First Timothy, just to give you an idea. Uh, let's see. Oh, uh, Chapter 2, verse 1, it's about prayer. Uh, first of all, then, I, that really was random, just so you know, I didn't plan that at all. Uh, first of all, then, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone. Okay, as you read that, what should you immediately think if you're praying Scripture? First of all, I urge the petitions, prayers, Lord, I pray for for. you know, everyone's kind of, kind of uh, broad, but God, I know people in my life who need prayer right now. I know that, that, that my dad needs to recover from his surgery. I, I know that uh, we have 
folks in church that, have, that are sick and, and having to, to heal from things. So, God, I pray for them. Verse 2, for kings and all those who are in authority. God, I don't particularly like the folks in authority right now, but you say to pray for them anyway. God, I pray for our president. I pray for the vice president. I pray locally for uh, the mayoral election here in Nixon. I, I pray for the issues with the city council that have been going on the last couple of weeks. Uh, all those in authority, so they may lead, that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all goodness. God, I, I pray that we would experience peace because of godly leaders. You see what I'm doing? I'm just praying scripture. I'm reading it, and as I read it, I apply it in my prayer. If you do that with the Lord's Prayer, that's great. As a matter of fact, if you do that with the Lord's Prayer, that's exactly what Jesus wanted you to do. Pray like this. I pray, our Father in heaven, God, you are, and this is why we're going through it so slowly, because I want you to see what he means by these things, so you can apply the principles. Pray like this. Our Father in heaven, God, you are my Father. Now, we got to stop right there, right? For, for some of us, that's not a good thing. For some of us, our fatherly example was not a good one. So when we read God as our Father, oh, you mean he's a jerk that comes home drunk, beats, his, beats my mom, beats the kids, uh, spends all his money uh, gambling on, on the weekends and, and, and doesn't provide for us what we need. Boy, that's the kind of father I like. Yay, God. Well, that may be the earthly father you're familiar with, but that is not your heavenly father. Because we've got to look at it and say, okay, our father, what does this mean for us? What does this mean as a Christian? You might have to go back and read a little bit. What does the Father do? Read about how God is, is, read Jesus who is God incarnate and how he weeps for the fact that Jerusalem won't turn to him, that his, his own people turn against him. Read about the Father who sent his only son to die so we wouldn't spend an eternity in hell. Read about the Father from whom every good and perfect gift comes. James tells us, read about the Father who so loved the world, loved the world in this way that he sent that Son. That is the Father that Jesus is talking about here. So we begin there, and we, have to, we may have to get rid of our notions of fatherhood and apply the fatherhood of God. He says, our Father. Interesting he would say that, right? Because if you're praying... And just praying it quietly, and you're, and you're by yourself in your home, you might pray, my Father. Well, a couple of things here. Uh, one, the, as we pray, we understand that God is for all the saints. He is our Father. If we trust Jesus as our Savior, He's our Father. That means I've got all kinds of countless brothers and sisters around the world who count Him as our Father. As, rather, as, as their father. So this is for everybody, but this is also talking about corporate prayer. This is, Jesus says, don't pray for show, but he doesn't say don't pray corporately. Pray, corporate prayer is incredibly important. We see it all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, where Jesus even did it in John, an extended prayer that he prays in front of the disciples for the whole world, and for his people, his, his followers. And then at the end of it, he says, Lord, I pray that Jesus, uh, Father, I pray this out loud in front of my disciples so they'll understand what's happening, how to pray, what's going on, who I am. 
It is important to pray corporately. So Jesus says, pray our Father. But we need to understand one thing about this fatherhood. He's not everybody's father. God is everybody's creator. When Jesus uses the term father throughout Matthew, he uses it as uh, when he's talking about God as the father of himself. He talks about God as the father of the disciples. He talks about God as the father of believers. But he never talks about God as father of the whole world. And he'll talk about God as creator of the whole world. Because there is a distinction between being someone's creator and being someone's father. I, I may build something from scratch at the house. I create it. Create it. I used a lot of parts that were already there, but I made it. It's mine. Yay. But that is an incredibly different relationship than fathering children. The relationship's not the same. I made that, and I may, you know, use it for a while and throw it away, or it, it may break, and I say, well, pff, you know, horrible construction, right? Um, poor craftsmanship, so it didn't fit, didn't, didn't do its job. But when I father something... It's not a throwaway. It's not a, if I messed it up, well, I'll just get rid of it and try again. It's not a, it's a totally different relationship. Whether, in my case, I helped produce those that I father, or I adopted into our family those that I father. See, we're all both of those things, right? God made us, He produced us, but we weren't His children until He adopted us. And then we get to go to God and say, our Father, my Father, the one who loves me. And Jesus goes on to talk about even bad fathers toss their kids some things occasionally, but we're talking about a good, good Father. And we see that as he goes on and talks about this. So we pray like this, our Father in heaven. That's not just a location thing. We're not just telling God his address. God, he's, he, know, he knows where he lives. You know, I, I don't call my parents and say, hey, dad in Louisiana, like, like I got another one somewhere else, number one, or he forgot where he lived. I appreciate the help. No, there, there's, there's something more here. God in heaven, our Father in heaven, because He is above us, and I'm not talking about spatially above us, like He's up there, we're down here. I'm talking about He is better than us. He is beyond us. He is above anything we can understand. So we say our God in heaven to differentiate. The Old Testament especially talked about you had the sinful world and uh, the, the, the pure heavens where, where, G, where God lived. Uh, it, it, there's not quite that kind of dichotomy, but that lets them understand, okay, this is where we are is sinful, but one day we get to be with God where there is no sin. He is above us. He is better than us. He is more than us, which is important, right? If, if my kids come to me and say, Daddy, I need something, they expect me to be able to provide it. Now, they may think it because money grows on the tree outside, but they at least expect me to be able to provide that. Why? Because I am different from them. I am a, a provider in a way that they are not right now. They expect that of me 
because I'm not above them in the same sense that God is above us, but I do have access to things that they don't have access to. We have access to the Father who has access to everything. So when we go to God and say, God, I need, he says, I know, and I got it. And maybe he'll give it to you, and maybe he won't, but he also knows your best interests. He knows what you need more than you know what you need. So he's above us. He's beyond us. He's removed from our sinfulness. The heavens, the, 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 the pure, perfect heavens and the sinful earth, he is removed from us. He is, well, he's not happy with our sinfulness. I mean, he's so unhappy with our sinfulness, his wrath is so strong against our sinfulness that he sent his own son to die in our place. The example is, sin is so bad, it took a cross and, and, and mutilation to take care of the sin. That's what I think of sin. But that is also how much I love you and want you to be not just my creation, but a part of my family. He's removed from our sinfulness because he just cannot be around it. And then the third thing we need to see here under the in heaven heading is that we are entering his throne room. We're coming and talking to God in his place. Heaven. Now, yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. All the time, all day. So that thing you were doing last night that you knew you weren't supposed to be doing... God was there. He was well aware of it. But when we enter in prayer, we are going to him. We are talking to him, and we are the creature approaching the creator. We are the servant approaching the master. We are the subjects approaching the king. But it's our dad. You know, I, I think back to the, uh, the pictures of uh, John Kennedy John John, underneath the, the Resolute desk in the Oval Office when JFK was president. I mean, here is the man at, at the time, especially with the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, Cold War at, at its height, probably. And John John's just, you know, playing with his trucks around his feet. That's, that's very, I think it's a great image of, of what we get to do with God. I don't want to be irreverent because there is a, a reverence we need to have. But as children, when Jesus says, don't hinder the little children, let them come to me. Kingdom of heaven is made up of such as these. Then we get the picture of this is what God wants. That, that abandon that says we're his kids. His, he's our dad. We can go talk to him. I know it's in his throne room. Isn't that cool? We get to go talk to him. Did you ever, you know, I, my dad, when I grew up and got to, I got to tell people that my dad drove a train, he was the coolest, except maybe fighting fires, you know. Keith, you got that. Uh, flying airplanes, that'll do it too, Larry. I, but, but at trains, you know, that was, that was cool. And, and if I got, I never got to take a friend on the train. All kinds of trouble if uh, we had done that. But I did get to ride on one a couple of times. Got to go to work with him. But to be able to say, hey, this is where my dad works. Let's go, let's go see what, you know, the, yeah, he, he gets to toot the whistle. I mean, I'm telling you, it's the coolest thing. That's what we get to do with God. We get to take our friends and say, let me go introduce you to my dad. I don't like dads. My dad's, I know what your dad is. 
let me tell you about my dad. We get to go in his throne room where he works. We just get to walk in and talk to him anytime we want to. Our Father in heaven. Your name. Your name. This is that unspeakable name, Yahweh. We don't know how it was pronounced. It, Moses was given these four letters. God said it a certain way. They, they, as the, they would transcribe the Bible through the years. There was a whole, every time they came to Yahweh, and they didn't write the vowels because they didn't know how to pronounce it. It was just the four consonants. As they came to that name, they would write a letter, go wash their hands, ceremonially purify themselves. Write the next letter, wash their hands, ceremonially ceremonially purify themselves. Next letter. Every time they came to that name. In your Bible, it's probably usually the, the name Lord that's capital L, small caps, O-R-D. Go back and read Genesis, chapter, starting in the middle of chapter 2, and, and on, and, and Exodus, and read how many times you have that all caps, Lord. Every time these scribes went and did this, because it was so important to them to not defame, not uh, uh, take this name in vain, that they wouldn't even write it. They wouldn't say it. They'd write it, but they would purify themselves. They wouldn't say it. So it became God was not Yahweh or, or Lord or God. They just started referring to God as the name. The name. And everybody knew, oh, you're talking about God. In my house, we have a name like that, too. Um, it's the team that won't be mentioned. And I would tell you which team that is in football, but I can't mention it. It's not exactly the same because I don't hold them in reverential awe. Their, their, their colors are red. They're, in, they're three states over toward the east. Um, elephant. It's a name that won't be mentioned in our house. For these folks, it was a name that you can't mention. It's not because we don't like them. It's because, can you imagine this God? The name. Your name. Our Father in heaven. Your name. You, God yourself, be honored as holy. Be honored as holy. Be set, sanctified. Be set apart. Be dedicated. You realize you can't make God holier than he already is. So when you read this, you say, okay, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. How do I do that? Your name be magnified. Your name be sanctified. How, how, how can I do that? You can't. What God is, what Jesus is telling us here is that, first of all, we're asking God to honor himself. Because in reality, he is the only one that can honor himself. We can praise him, we can worship him, we can give him honor and glory and uh, Old Testament word extol him, we can exalt him, we can do a lot of things in worship, but we're not going to add anything to God. And we're not even going to come close to, to worshiping him in the way that he should be worshipped, understanding him in the way he should be understood. The only person that can understand God, can describe God, is God himself. So what we're saying is, God, show yourself. God, show out for me. Let me see you. Exalt your name. Honor your name. Set it apart. 
But then there is the, the, the fact that we must honor God in word. So God, in my prayer, I honor you. Our Father, pray in Scripture, right, as a model. Our Father, my Father, and maybe for you, God, I don't, I don't have good fathers in my life. But God, I know you are a good Father. My Father who loves me and adopted me. In heaven, God, you are greater than me. You are above me. You are beyond me. God, why you even give me the time of day, I do not understand. You are so far above sinful me. God, your name, who you are, the, the ever-existing one. You know, use, your, use your Old Testament to find out who God was. Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah... Uh, oh, there's so many different names of God, the ways that they describe God. God, that's who you are. Honor yourself. Lord, I honor you. Lord, I praise you. I worship you. I give you what you're due, even though it is so far beyond my ability to comprehend and put into word. I worship you. You are set apart. You are holy. That's praying scripture. That's using the Lord's prayer to guide your prayer, the model prayer to model your prayer after. But it's not just in word here. God is most greatly honored. God is most greatly glorified when our actions match up with our words. Talk is cheap. We all understand that, right? Don't tell me you love me, show you you love me. Show me you love me. Unless you're a woman, then you want both, right? I understand that. You want to be told and shown. I got it. I just don't do it as well as I should. I do understand it. God, show me. Or God says rather, show me indeed that you honor God by your actions. That's what God is asking for here. Be honored and holy in word. Be honored as holy in deed. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Now, honor God. Understand, going back over this, first of all, prayer is not an option. We don't get to choose to pray or not. If we are going to have a relationship with God, we should pray. That's number one. Number two, brace, uh, base your prayer on how Jesus, Jesus taught us. Pray like this. Don't pray this, especially if you're just going to pray it and that's your prayer and you're just counting on that passage, those words to do something. No, pray like this. Base your prayer on it. Number four, know your position. Michael, you skipped one. Yeah, I know. Hold on. Number four, know your position. He's above me. I can go to him as my dad and ask him for anything, talk to him about anything, but I still need to understand he's God and I'm not. And I may be upset, I may get ticked off that something didn't happen the way I wanted it to, but he's God and I'm not. So I understand my position. Number five, talk about God before you talk uh, about you. Our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then I get to talk about me some, but only after I have talked about God. 
And if we broke this down, if, if we took Jesus' long prayer in, in John chapter 17, something around there, if we took Jesus' long prayer there and we condensed it and we, 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 we categorized every sentence, we would find that we could squeeze that down into the model prayer that he gives us here in Matthew. That his prayer would match, honor God, then talk about yourself. And that's what Jesus did. Prayer is not an option, number one. Base your prayer on how Jesus taught us, number two. Know your position, number four. Talk about God before you talk about you, is number five. Number three is there. And this may be the most important thing you hear today. Some of you. God is not your father until you've trusted Jesus as Savior. So you want to honor God? The way to honor God this morning, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ, is to accept Him as Savior. You don't honor God by giving Him lip service with a few words, pray when stuff goes bad, maybe a blessing before the meal, or you show up at church on occasion. That's not honoring God. Honoring God is to give Him your entire life. And that means literally giving Him your life. Romans 12, placing your uh, whole life on the altar and saying, this is yours, I sacrifice it all to you, it's not mine. That's trusting in Jesus. This morning, I pray that you would honor God by trusting Him as Savior if you never have. Christian, honor God in your prayers. Begin there. Then we'll talk about you. Well, Michael, how do I honor God by trusting Jesus? Paul talked about it, set it up in Romans for us beautifully. Roman road is what it's called. Romans 3.23 For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's us. That's you. That's me. All. Everybody. That's everybody in the world. Everybody that has lived. Everybody that will live. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Romans 6.23, and I've used this verse for months now, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus our Lord. We've all sinned. We all have the, the wages to receive. And that, those wages are death. But Jesus is a gift of eternal life. Romans 5.8. God proves his own love for us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The plan all along was to save you from your sin. Even while you live in sin, God's plan is to save you from sin. Jesus died for you 2,000 years ago, knowing exactly where you would be today, exactly the sins you would commit, and he was not okay with that, but he was knew, I'm paying for those. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The way we receive that, Romans 10, 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You see that? Everyone. There's no one here this morning who is outside the reach of the gospel of grace. You don't know a single person that is outside the reach of salvation through Jesus Christ. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It is really that simple. It's a trust. It's a heart change. And it's, I want to follow Jesus. This morning, maybe you need to follow Jesus. I pray that you'll make that decision today to honor God with your life. Not just in a prayer, but in a heart change. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you have provided your son for salvation. Thank you that, that you have made it clear to us today what we must do 
to trust you as a Savior, to, to trust Jesus as Savior, to experience salvation, to know of an eternity with you, to know of forgiveness of our sins today. God, thank you that you have put it on your son's heart when he walked among us to, to teach us to pray, to give us this model. Lord, I, I pray that, that you are honored in our words, in our deeds. God, when we pray, when we come before you, Lord, we ask that you would do something great this morning in our hearts. Lord, be honored in this place. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Your response this morning is your honor of God. How do you honor Him today? Do you accept Christ as your Savior? Maybe you've accepted Christ, but you need to be baptized. You've not followed in obedience. Your, your heart's there. Your, 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 your mind is there, but, but you've never made that public. Well, you can come down front and make it public, but biblically, your public profession of faith is not when you stand up front and I say, hey, they've accepted Christ, but when you get in those baptismal waters in front of everybody and say, I am buried with Christ. I'm raised to a new life. That's when you make that public. Maybe you need to lead a life of holiness. Maybe your prayer life is stuck. And, and you want this morning to begin to model the model prayer. And you want to come up here and just talk to God a few minutes. Honor Him. We're going to take a couple of minutes, sing a song. You do business with God there. You do business with God here at the altar. You can come to me. I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. But somewhere, do business with God this morning as we stand and sing.